is Weekly Dose of Wellness, brought to you by Memorial Care Health System. Here's Deborah Howell. Hello, welcome, welcome. You're listening to Weekly Dose of Wellness, brought to you by Memorial Care Health System. I'm Deborah Howell, and today our guest is Leah Nakamura, MD, a urologist with fellowship training in female pelvic medicine and reconstructive surgery. Today's topic is understanding and treating incontinence. Welcome, Dr. Nakamura. Uh, thank you. I'm very happy to be here with you this morning. And we're happy to have you. Now, over now, over 25 million Americans are affected by incontinence. That is a staggering number. It sure is, and it's going to continue to grow as incontinence does affect our elderly population, which, as we know, is growing and growing um, by the minute. So let's get to the, the bones of it. What is incontinence? So when we're talking about incontinence, we're, we're talking about urinary incontinence today, which is defined as uh, specifically the involuntary loss of urine. Or more in layman's terms, it's what people say when they, quote, wet their pants or, quote, have an accident or, mm-hmm. you know, if they, quote, pee themselves. Okay. Okay. So it's not a pleasant situation for anyone. No, definitely not. And so what are the different types of incontinence and which are the most common? So incontinence can be broken down into several different types. Um, the main types are divided in two big categories that are the most common. And that is uh, the first category we refer to stress incontinence or leaking during effort or physical exercise. Mm -hmm. So this is often something people experience when they cough or sneeze or are active. Mm -hmm. A lot of times this is mostly females. Um, The other big category is what we call urge incontinence or leaking that's associated with a desire to, to avoid or, or urinate. Okay. And this is what people experience when they say, oh, I can't get to the bathroom in time, or they leak when the faucet gets turned on, or yeah. leak when they pull into the driveway. Okay. Uh, but people can have both types, and when they have both, it's called mixed incontinence. And then there's two other categories. You know, One uh, is nocturnal anuresis, or um, loss of, of urine during sleep. Mm-hmm. And then another big category is called continuous incontinence, where people have continuous loss of urine. This is often from something like an anatomic abnormality, okay. um, like people can't urinate, or they have um, a, something like a fistula. I see. So what are some, some of the signs and symptoms that you may be incontinent or borderline incontinent? Uh, so people who are incontinent, um, you know, they, they begin to notice, a lot of times it's, it's the females when they notice, oh, you know, I have a hard time making to the bathroom in time, or they, they find it's more difficult to hold back their urine when they have an urge, mm-hmm. or they notice that, oh, when I exercise really hard, I have a tiny bit of leakage, right. um, or when they start coughing or have a bad cold, they notice, oh, um, there's a little bit of leakage. So that's some of the signs that, that people may notice early on. Of course, later in the game, it's, you know, it it's get, gets worse and worse. Okay, so let's talk about the treatment. What are some of the best treatment options for stress and urge incontinence? Okay, well, we'll break it down into the two categories, as you said. So for stress incontinence, when um, people first, you know, begin having symptoms and when the stress incontinence might be minor, they can do things like <clears throat> actually losing weight helps to treat stress incontinence. Oh, I didn't and, know that. And perf- yeah, absolutely. And, and performing Kegel exercises or those mm-hmm. pelvic floor exercises. Okay. Um, this also helps to treat it. That's something people can do on their own. But when it persists, it may require surgery to treat. 
And um, one of the gold standards that uh, we perform for for surgical treatment are things like slings, and these can be made of various materials, Mm -hmm. um, like mesh or, you know, using your own tissue, which is called an autologous fascial sling, or even using cadaveric or porcine tissue. And then there are other surgeries that can be done, like needle suspensions and uh, and then injectable treatments for stress incontinence. And how effective are these surgeries? Uh, the surgeries are very effective. Um, you know, depending on um, the the, uh, the this, if we just look at the sling itself, um, you know, the effectiveness of it runs anywhere between eighty to ninety percent. You know, up to ten years, so they're mm-hmm. very very effective um, and um, and successful. It's just, and they, they but they do have their share of risks, so it's important to have a good discussion with your physician before you know embarking on 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 just going through surgery. Sure. Uh, and then for urge incontinence, um, oftentimes we start people with, with behavioral things. So again, you know, not heading straight to an intervention, but doing things like not drinking an excessive amount of fluid and cutting back bladder irritants like caffeine and teas and sodas, mm-hmm. and then um, stopping fluids two hours before going to bed. And then just kind of making sure you have good bladder hygiene, going to the bathroom, not waiting to the last minute, doing time void and going around the clock about every two hours. Mm-hmm. And if these things still are not effective, then uh, we give patients things like medications, um, uh, with their various different types of medications and classes of medications. And if those still are not working, then we can even inject Botox into the bladder. Oh, wow! Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's uh, one of the newer therapies, which was which is very effective. And um, now, there's let, also let, let's talk yeah. about that for a second. Botox yeah. relaxes muscles. You would think it would have the opposite effect that you're looking for. No, so in this case, that's exactly what we want because what happens when patients have urge incontinence or an overactive bladder, their bladder muscle is is contracting too much. Oh, I Um, see. Yeah, so it's almost like a spasm. And so what you want to do is relax it. And so that's why the Botox comes into play and and does just like what it does for the face to get rid of the wrinkles. It smooths out the bladder and helps to relax it. Incredible. I I suppose there are some risk factors if incontinence goes untreated for a prolonged period of time. You know, um, so when incontinence goes untreated, it may continue to just get worse over time. And when that happens, you know, patients experience more and more effects on their quality of life. You know, they have to wear more pads. They may have more accidents. They can get skin breakdown and irritation from wearing the pads or the wet Mm -hmm. clothing. Mm -hmm. Um, They may be prone to other things like certain types of infections as well, um, like uh, urinary tract infections or um, uh, vaginal infections or, you know, skin infections. So those are the big, big things. But this is more of a quality of life, you know, um, issue rather than a life-threatening condition. I want to go back to something you said about frequency of going to the bathroom, about every two hours. A good thing, not a good thing? So um, it is a good thing. I mean, when people have uh, incontinence or leaking, uh, we want patients to go around the clock so that they empty their bladder before the accident happens. I see. Uh, so that's why we encourage people who you know have these accidents uh, to to go around the clock and kind of time it, even if they may not have to go, but to empty their bladder mm-hmm. before they reach a point where, you know, it's, it's too late and they have that accident. Does incontinence have anything to do with um, partially emptying your bladder and not being able to fully empty the bladder every time you go? 
Absolutely. Um, so th- when patients have um, uh, overflow incontinence, they could be in, in retention and not emptying. So it, it's like a cup that's almost full to the brim. So you mm-hmm. keep on adding to the cup and they'll spill over. Yeah. Um, so that's one form of incontinence. And um, yes, if, if people are not emptying adequately, they're more likely to leak. Um, again, with the whole cup kind of analogy, it's easier to tip over and spill when it's, sure. when it's fuller. Um, so that that's absolutely is a, a component of the incontinence and the risk for incontinence. When people come to you, do they have a certain shame factor? Uh, yes, they do, of course. Um, uh, nobody wants to admit or talk about, you know, how um, leaking is affecting their lives or, you know, what they have to go through. But um, when they do come to see me, uh, you know, either I can either they come for a different reason and we eventually tease out the, you know, what's going on with them or they come because they're so miserable that it's really affecting their lives that they're ready to talk about and ready to do something. Uh, But I think the um, main message is that, you know, uh, people can start off earlier too and do more behavioral and um, non-surgical, non-invasive types of uh, treatments for incontinence um, before, you know, we have to head to something like surgery. So there are several different options to treat the condition. You have sort of a dual role then as almost a counselor physician. Oh, absolutely. I think every physician does. I mean, we we have a duty to to counsel patients on several different things, and I think every condition is is multifactorial as well. And so, um, you know, it's our job uh, to to counsel patients and, and make sure that we're doing things for their, you know, optimal quality of life and not doing things just for, you know, medical purposes or like just, you know, um, it's, it's, it's all about um, talking with the patient and making decisions with them um, to get the best outcome for them. Absolutely. Run me through the Botox procedure. If I'm a person, a woman of 45 years of age and I have incontinence, I come to you and you say, well, for you, Botox is an option. Uh, what's the procedure? Uh, so the procedure is actually fairly simple. It's done just in the office. Uh, put a tiny camera into the bladder through the urethra, and then through that camera, we uh, perform about 20 injections of the medicine uh, throughout the bladder wall after numbing up the bladder with lidocaine. So the whole procedure itself, you know, takes you know just a few minutes to perform. Wow. People are fairly comfortable. Yeah, and but there are risk factors afterward. You know. Um, the well, biggest risk factor with a Botox injection is uh, not being able to urinate um, uh, after, after, because sometimes the bladder is too weak, mm-hmm. you can't contract, and you can't empty. And then there's other tiny, smaller risk factors like um, developing infections, um, you know, bleeding from just the injection sites, um, right. that sort of thing. And then I suppose it's a little difficult to gauge as the Botox wears off. Um, uh, that That's correct. So if it's effective, it usually takes about a week um, uh, before people start noticing a difference. And, and if it's successful, um, then uh, it can last anywhere between three months to up to a year, um, mm-hmm. average about, I would say, six to nine months. And then people notice, oh, that their symptoms are starting to return, which would mean they would need a repeat Botox injection at that point. Sure, sure. Okay. This has been really informative. I just want to thank you so much for your time and for your compassion for people um, suffering from incontinence. Oh, absolutely. I think, um, you know, people shouldn't be afraid, uh, you know, to seek seek help and seek attention for this. And, um, you know, there's many different treatment options that are available, and we can definitely help to make a difference in their quality of life. So It's a, it's a better day for patients with incontinence, for sure. <laughs> that's, 
That's great. Thank you for having me. And thank you so much, Dr. Nakamura, for spending some time with us this afternoon. It's been great to have you on the program. And if you'd like to listen to a podcast or for more info, please visit memorialcare.org. That's memorialcare.org. I'm Deborah Howell. Join us again next time as we explore another weekly dose of wellness brought to you by Memorial Care Health System. Have a fantastic day. <laughs>